You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. If the Lord opened our eyes to the spiritual realm, even for just a moment, it would blow our minds. I guarantee you it would give us a new gravity when it comes to the issue of spiritual warfare. It would awaken us to the reality that we have an enemy, like it or not, who comes against us. If God would allow us just to see, just for a moment, what's going on in the spiritual realm, the unseen realm, I promise you it would get our attention. So, for example, this weekend we've had our Walking Wisely weekend for our students. We see them here in the the shirts. It's been a great weekend, great Bible teaching. They've been in host homes. They've had a good time eating some great meals, had small group time together focusing on Jesus. Do you think that Satan does not want to disrupt and distract that? Do you think Satan wants to come against a group of young people getting together and fixing their eyes upon Jesus? Absolutely. And if we could see what's going on in the spiritual realm around this event, it'd blow our minds. Or I think about the invitation. I think it's important that when I preach the Word of God, that at the end of the service, I invite people to come and give their life to Jesus. I just believe that's an important thing to do. And I do it every Sunday. I share the gospel and I call people to give their hearts to Christ. And for so many of us, that's time to pack up our stuff and and figure out where we're going to go eat. And and it's it's time to, service is almost over. And there are souls in the balance. Heaven and hell in the balance. Eternity in the balance, and we're thinking about where we're going to eat lunch. If God would allow us to see what's going on in the spiritual realm when I'm calling people to give their lives to Jesus, I guarantee you, instead of packing our bags, we'd be on our face praying, crying out for God to move and show his power over the enemy. And so, We need to understand that spiritual warfare is real. Even though it is largely unseen, it's real. If we don't get that, then we are destined to spiritual defeat after spiritual defeat after spiritual defeat. So keeping that in mind, look with me in Ephesians chapter 6. We are continuing our study line by line, verse by verse, through this wonderful epistle. This is a letter 
that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the first century city of Ephesus. And a couple weeks ago when we started this text, verses 10 through 13 in chapter 6, I gave you half a sermon. And I said, we may not finish it, we didn't. We're going to finish it this morning. We're going to look at points uh, 3 and 4. So that's why if you look at your notes, points 1 and 2 are already filled in because we covered that last time we were together. We're going to look again at Ephesians chapter 6, begin reading in verse 10. I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word, which is truth with no mixture of error. This is the living word of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul marks that he's bringing the letter to a close when he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, there's something about getting together with God's people and proclaiming the name of Jesus. There's a power in that. There's life in that. And the joy of getting together and singing praises to our King is something that this world cannot duplicate. So I'm glad, Lord, that we're here today. And Lord, we just say once again, you are the center of attention. You are the reason that we're here. And we come to this moment of Bible study with expectancy. We ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would give us understanding of your word that we might take it and apply it to our lives. Open our spiritual eyes to the reality of spiritual warfare. That we might be ready, prepared to win spiritual victories by your strength and for your glory. Would you work in our midst In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Last time we were together in this text, we began to discuss four thoughts about spiritual warfare. And we talked about the struggle that we are engaged in a conflict with an unseen enemy. And then we talked about the schemes of the enemy. How the enemy, Satan and his demons, work to to disrupt us, to distract us, to destroy us. We talked about the leader and his army. And we talked about Satan's tactics, his schemes, the Bible says uh, there in uh, verse uh, 13. 
the schemes of, I'm sorry, verse uh, 11, the schemes of the devil. That, that word is methodia. It's the word for method. The, method the, the methods that the devil uses to come against us. We talked about what those tactics were. And, and really what we said is this, that the names that Satan is called suggest the tactics that he uses. So we talked about Satan being a tempter. We talked about Satan being the father of lies. And we talked about Satan being the accuser of the brethren. And here's the conclusion that we came to. Satan and his demons are crafty, cunning, and bent on destruction. There's an old hymn written by Martin Luther. And there's a line in there that sums up this truth well. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. And if you, if you forgot the sermon that I preached on this text, I just want to remind you, Satan hates you. He hates your family. He hates your church. He hates your workplace. He hates... Everything about you. And he wants to destroy. And so we came to those conclusions by talking about the struggle and the enemy's schemes. But we don't need to stop there. Because there is some good news. There is some equipping in this text to help us to to stand strong in the midst of spiritual warfare. So third, I want to focus on our stand Our stand. Notice what it says there in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Notice that word stand. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then skip down to verse 13. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Do you see a a pattern here? Stand, stand, withstand, stand strong in the evil day. Stand strong against the evil one. We are called to stand firm. James calls this in uh, chapter 4 verse 7. And Peter in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 verse 9 calls this resisting. Resisting. In other words, you don't let Satan have his way in your Life. That's what it means to stand and resist. We don't let the devil have his way in our lives. So what's the opposite of standing? Fleeing, right? Losing ground to the enemy. Or falling. Falling down and falling into Satan's schemes. Fleeing and falling are the opposite of standing. So God doesn't want us to flee and give the devil ground in our lives. And he doesn't want us to fall. He wants us to stand. He wants us to live in such a way that, listen, that we are not allowing the evil one to have his way in our lives or in our family or in our church or in our community. We are standing against him. That's what we are called to do. But practically speaking... What does that look like? How do you stand against the devil? I think we need to go back to Satan's methods, Satan's schemes, the the titles of Satan, which suggest the, the tactics that he 
uses. So for example, the Bible calls Satan the tempter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. In Genesis 3, which we studied in our Bible study this morning, we see Satan in the form of a serpent come into the Garden of Eden and, and tempt Adam and Eve to disobey God by eating the fruit from the tree that God told them not to eat from. He was luring them, tempting them. We see in Matthew 4 that Satan tempted Jesus himself. And I said it last time, but I'll say it again. If Satan was audacious enough to tempt Jesus Christ, guess what? He'll tempt you and me too. And he does. And he's good at it. He's good at presenting the bait while hiding the hook. So if Satan is going to tempt us as a primary methodology to destroy us, to lead us astray, how do we respond? Here's the answer. When we are tempted to do the wrong thing, we are by the power of the Holy Spirit to seek God's way of escape. I want you to hold your place, but I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want your eyes to fall on this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to look at verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is this. The Lord is reminding us that we have Old Testament examples to learn from. So when we see Old Testament figures blowing it, and by the way, if you read the Old Testament, you see that a lot, right? You see folks blowing it. Even people we would consider heroes of the faith, we see them blowing it. They do the wrong thing. They act the wrong way. They disobey God. And, and, and Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 10, when you see that, it, it should help you, should encourage you and instruct you to learn from their example so you don't do what they did, right? And then he says in verse 12, and this is so important, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Wow. That verse is so very important. It, it helps us to guard against spiritual pride and thinking that the things we see happening in other people's lives could never happen to us. Satan loves to see someone thinking that it can't happen to them. They are prone to the attacks of the enemy. And Satan will work through their pride and their hubris and lead them astray. And so the first reality is this. Hey, don't think it can't happen to you. Don't let your guard down. Be vigilant. Satan is a tempter. And then look in verse 13. This is where it gets very, very practical. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, everybody deals with temptation. Everybody is tempted. James says sometimes it's by the, the own uh, sinful nature in us that gets carried away and wants something that it should not want. And it, and it leads us astray. And the Bible says Satan is a tempter. He's in the midst of that, putting the, the bait before us while hiding the hook. And he says, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. But look what he says next. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide 
the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Here's what Paul says. When temptation comes knocking at your door, when, when Satan puts that lure before you and it's shiny and it's got your attention and you feel yourself wanting to go that direction, he's saying, remember the character of God. God is a faithful God. He loves you. He watches over you. And in that faithfulness, he always provides a way out. So when you find yourself tempted and and you feel yourself getting weak and and you want to give in, look around because somewhere in that situation there is a way out. Why? Because God is faithful. There will always be a way out for the child of God. You just got to look. You got to want to find that way. And listen to me. When you find the way out... Don't walk. Run. The Bible says flee. Flee immorality. And so when it comes to a situation where we feel tempted to do the wrong thing, to give in to the the schemes of the devil, to let him have his way in our life, stop and look around. Trust the faithfulness of God and look for that way of escape and then take it. Take it. Take it. Run. You've probably heard this saying before and it's so true. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Don't give in. Flee, run. There will listen, there will always be a way out. So that is practical. That is practical. Look for that way out. And hey, can I just tell you this? And this is so important. Many times the way out or the way of escape is simply knowing what the Bible says. Now you say, where are you getting that from, Pastor Wade? The temptation of Jesus, Matthew chapter 4. With every temptation that Satan brought against Jesus, how did Jesus respond? He responded by quoting the Bible. He knew the Bible. So he could stand against the schemes, the wily schemes of the enemy. And Jesus Christ was pure. He was spotless, without sin. He resisted temptation because he knew the word of God. You and I need to know what the Bible says. That temptation comes, we say, no, 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 no. That's not something I should desire. That's not something I should pursue. That's not something that I should do. Because here's what the Bible says. Many times, the way of escape is simply knowing what the Bible says. Which is, by the way, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about you reading your Bible consistently. You need to know what the Bible says when Satan comes against you. The Bible also calls Satan in John 8 the father of lies. So that suggests that one of his tactics is to lie, to deceive. We talked about it this morning in the Garden of Eden. He was distorting and deceiving Eve and Adam. And that's what he does. And he's so subtle. And he's so effective at, at leading us astray. 
So when he lies, we need to combat the lies with the truth. Soon we'll talk about the, the belt of truth as part of the, the armor of God. But we, we need to stand in the truth of the word of God. You need a, a consistent intake of God's truth. That's why, Listen, that's why you need to go to church. I've heard people say, well, I can, I can worship on a golf course. Well, amen, I can too. And I can worship in a deer stand. Well, I can too. I love being in the woods early in the morning. Or I can worship sitting on the dock and watching the waves roll in. Well, I can too. But where are you getting your intake of truth from? Bible study? Brothers and sisters in Christ? Studying the Word together? Worship services? The Word of God being taught and proclaimed? You need a consistent intake of truth and listen this is so important you need people around you speaking truth because sometimes it's that brother or sister in Christ that sees the situation more clearly than we do that can say something that helps us when Satan is lying to us you see every one of us in this room have blind spots and we need people around us that will help us to adjust our spiritual perception so we can apply truth when Satan lies and tries to lead us astray. And by the way, here's one of Satan's major lies. It happened in the Garden of Eden. And I want our young people to hear this. One of Satan's major ongoing lies is this. There are no consequences when you disobey God. He said to Eve, you'll not die. Eat the fruit if you want to eat it. You, you'll not die. There are no consequences for disobedience. And the Bible is very, very clear that what we, we sow, we will also reap. Satan loves to lie and make you think, you'll get away with it. You'll, it'll be fine. It'll be fun. No big deal. Satan is a liar. But then the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren over in Revelation chapter 12. In fact, the, the, the title devil means accuser. That's what it means. It's one of Satan's primary tactics. So listen to me. If you are a believer in Christ, if you've been born again, Satan can't have you. You're in the hands of God. You're eternally secure in Christ. You're going to heaven when you die. You are saved, forgiven, a child of God. So what's Satan's tactic for born-again believers? How does he come against born he can't, he can't get us to a place where we're unsaved. We're secure in Jesus. Jesus paid it all. Amen? So, so what does he do? Well, he wants to steal your peace. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your effectiveness in serving King Jesus. He wants you to be stuck in spiritual neutral so you're not doing anything for the kingdom. He wants you to be, be completely ineffective. And can we just be honest this morning? Even in this room? Satan has some of us right where he wants us. We're not engaged in serving Jesus. And one of the reasons is because Satan is so adept at accusation. 
What does it mean that Satan accuses the brethren, people who are saved? It means sometimes he brings up the past. Hey, raise your hand if you've ever had the devil bring up your past before. Raise your hand. Anybody ever done that? Am I the only one? Yeah. All of us. My past is forgiven. Who of us would not hang our heads in shame if a replay of our lives were put up on this video screen and everybody could watch? (laughs) We all have a past. That's why we all need a Savior. And aren't you glad that Jesus left the splendor and glory of heaven and came to this earth and went to the cross and took all of your sin and guilt and shame on himself and took the the wrath of God in our place? He died for our sins. Aren't you glad? So our sins can be forgiven and as the Bible says, cast into a sea of forgetfulness. But Satan loves to accuse. He loves to say, who do you think you are? Sitting in that church, trying to serve Jesus. Don't, don't you remember your past? Do you remember what you've done? He loves to bring up the past. And many people, Christians, are paralyzed by their past. And they can't get past their past. And Satan has them right where he wants them. Satan loves to accuse by making us feel unworthy. He loves to accuse by causing us to doubt our standing before God. I've I've counseled people through the years and and they're going through a difficult time. And and, uh, the question on their heart is, is God mad at me? Does, Does God not love me? Does God not care? I mean, children of God, does God not love me? They're struggling with that. And Satan loves to accuse and think, God, 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 God doesn't really love you. He loves to take away our spiritual peace. So the question becomes, when Satan accuses us, when the condemner comes, when he makes us feel unworthy, when he causes us to doubt our standing before God or, or our, our potential for effectiveness in kingdom service, when he does that, how do we respond? The, question, the answer is, We remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. Again, we need to know our Bibles. You picking up a theme here? Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11 says that those who were accused by Satan overcame him. This is during the tribulation. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They were forgiven, they were secure in Christ, and they were able to say to Satan who accused them, I am forgiven. I am his. Go away, Satan. I'm going to live for Jesus. You can overcome the accuser of the brethren by sharing your testimony of who you are in Christ. So you need to learn to say things like this. I'm forgiven. The Bible tells me I'm forgiven in Christ. I'm I'm a new creation. Jesus made me brand new. 2 Corinthians 5 Verse 10, I'm I'm, I'm born again. I'm I'm sealed in the Spirit. I'm adopted. God is my Father. I'm a friend of God. I've been reconciled. When Satan accuses you, 
and wants to steal your spiritual peace, you need to remember your identity in Christ. It is so very important. Which, by the way, that's why Satan tries to get us to find our identity elsewhere. Because if we're finding our identity elsewhere, we forget who we are in Christ, and we're wide open to the accusations of the enemy. And so, when he accuses... Remind yourself of the realities of what it means to be saved. I've heard it said like this. When Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. (laughs) Amen? And I'll tell you what it is. It's the lake of fire. That's where he's headed. God has already won. He's going to bring it all to a glorious conclusion. We're on the winning team. When he causes you to doubt you're standing before God, just rejoice. That God is your father and you're adopted. And that adoption will never be rescinded. I love the book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Written in the 16th century. Baptist pastor. He wrote it while he was in prison for preaching the gospel. And Pilgrim's Progress, I try to read it once a year, is an allegory of the Christian life. And the, the protagonist in the story is a man named Christian who... Who gets saved, and the rest of the book is his his journey towards the celestial city, his his journey toward heaven, and and it and it it speaks um, so so adeptly at the, the the different trials and pitfalls that that Christians uh, encounter on their way to the promised land. Have you figured out we're not in heaven yet? And in that book, in the Valley of Humiliation, Christian has. A battle with Apollyon, who's the accuser representing Satan. And in that that encounter, in the Valley of Humiliation, Apollyon, the accuser, begins to recite the things that Christian has done wrong. His failures, his weaknesses. But I love Christian's response to the accuser. It's full of humility and faith. Here's what he says. All this is true. And much more you've left out. (laughs) Hey, you got me. I've fallen. I've blown it. I'm weak. I've stumbled. I have a past. You're exactly right. And there's some things you didn't even name. But then he goes on to say, But the prince whom I serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. But besides these infirmities possess me in thy country, for there I suck them in, I have groaned under them, been sorry for them, and have obtained the pardon of my prince. And at the mention of forgiveness, Apollyon flies into a rage. Because he knows. I can't accuse someone who knows they're standing before God in Christ. My accusations will have no effectiveness. So here's what I'm saying. Stand. Don't flee. Don't fall. Stand. Don't let Satan have his way in your life. Draw, listen, draw a line in the spiritual sand and do it today. And say, enough, Satan, enough! I'm a child of the king. You will not have your way in my life. By the grace of God. Which leads to number four, God's strength. Let's look at this very quickly and we'll be through. 
God's strength. This, you need to remember this if you're going to be successful in spiritual warfare. Back in Ephesians, look what it says in verse 10. It's the first verse in this section on spiritual warfare. Uh, and we've kind of worked our way backwards, but we need, to, we need to emphasize this. Verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Now in the original Greek language, there are three different words used for strength. Uh, there's the word dunamis when he says be strong. It's where we get the modern day di- word dynamite from. And it's a present passive, so it's better rendered as be continually strengthened. Be continually strengthened. And then he says in the strength, that's the Greek word kratos, which is the word for, for power. It usually has reference to supernatural power. So be strong in the Lord, his dunamis, and in the 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 kratos, the supernatural power of God. And then he says, the strength of his might. That word is the word iskus. It speaks of force in action, strength in action. These same three words are used to speak of God's power in Ephesians 1 verse 19. And the point is this, and don't miss it. If you and I want to be successful in spiritual warfare, if we want to be victorious in spiritual warfare, we cannot do it in our own strength. We need God's help. We need to grow in dependence. You need God's strength. And you need God's armor. Look what he says in verse 10 or verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Look at verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Next week we're going to begin to talk about the armor of God, the different pieces of the armor of God and what that means for our lives. But the armor of God is, is simply a metaphor for the spiritual resources that are available to us in Christ. Understand what you have in Christ and, and, and wear it, so to speak, so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. And here's the takeaway. This is in your notes. Without the Lord's strength and without the Lord's armor, you cannot stand against the enemy. You can't. You're going to be defeated. Satan is going to chew you up and spit you out over and over and over and over again. And and, and maybe some of you are living in that cycle right now. Satan is having his way in your life. And, and, and you try to pick yourselves up by the bootstraps, say, I'm going to do better, and it just doesn't work out, does it? Because, you, listen, you're not strong enough. You need help. You need the Lord's strength, His power, His strength in action. Without the Lord's armor, without these, these realities of who we are in Christ, you cannot stand against the enemy. But here's the, the good news. With the Lord's strength and with the Lord's armor, you can live the victorious Christian life. Now, listen to me. Satan is crafty and cunning and wily and very good at what he does. Satan is a, is a powerful being. We, we dare not stand against him in our own strength. But don't forget that Satan is a defeated foe. In fact, when you look at the cross and tied into Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, when Jesus died for our sins, when he shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven and washed away, you know what he did? He stomped the head of the serpent. It was a mortal blow. 
And Satan has a little bit of time left, but his time is coming to an end. And get, listen to me, he is a created being under the sovereign control of the Creator. So we don't have to be afraid. We, we can be vigilant and on guard. But Satan is a defeated foe. Here's how it is worded in 1 John chapter 4. Greater is he that is in me, Jesus, than he that is in the world, Satan. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? But you and I have to rely on the Lord's strength. And so I hope what will happen this morning is I hope that, again, we'll be awakened to the reality of spiritual warfare. But I also hope that we will all grow in dependence, in dependence, that we will see our need for the Lord daily. Call on His name and walk with Him and say, God, I need your help in this battle. When that happens, you're walking in step with Jesus you will begin to see spiritual victory after spiritual victory for the glory of King Jesus. Remember that song I quoted earlier, Mighty Fortresses Are God? Talking about Satan, his craft and power, great, armed with cruel hate. On earth is not as equal. Here's how the song ends. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We can't win the battle in and of ourselves. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth is named from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. That's our Savior. That's our King. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.